Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, along with J.J. Cooper. Thanks for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off. That's Baseballism.com. Enter the code BA2017 for 20% off your gear. And JJ, uh, we are gearing up for Friday's uh, MLB Network show, Friday, February 10th. It'd be a uh, 50 to 1 prospect countdown. We'll do a Facebook Live next week, talking 51 to 100. We'll we have chat talk, we all have day. About, you know, that, the, the, when that Facebook Live is, is still to be determined, I do believe, is it not? Uh, I thought it was Tuesday, but whatever it is, yeah, we have a we'll, Tuesday we'll let you, we'll let we you know. We'll do another one. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, whatever it is, we'll let you know for sure, because we have a lot to talk about. We like these players. Uh, we like prospects, and we like talking about them, and that's why we do these podcasts. Um, you know, for all 30 organizations for their top 10s and top 30s. For these in the second half, JJ, some people are a little bit lucky. We're going a little bit deeper, a little more detail. The, the early podcasts really focused on the top 10s of the American League. But in the National League, we're going a little bit deeper. And the St. Louis Cardinals are today's focus. Uh, some technical issues, not technical, technically with their dog issues back in Durham. Um, glad to pinch hit today and talk Cardinals. But JJ... Uh, this Cardinals organization, we kind of tag team working on this uh, last year on the top 30. Mm-hmm. And this year, Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch back at it again. Um, but this is a Cardinals organization at a crossroads and also an organization that really, for the first time in what seems like 20 years, a significant misstep. I mean, the last blotch on this organization really was Big Mac and Andrew Dean Dion and the Cardinals kind of being at the center of baseball's steroid uh, scandal. What a shock. Tony La Russa at the center of that twice but, in his career. But this hacking scandal is more completely out of the norm of Major League Baseball, whereas that was, they were just a kind of a tipping point in the industry. Right. I, I, I don't even, I hate to say, I don't consider that a scandal. That was, the reality of it is, is that there was no punishment with that. Right. That was, right. That was something that was actually not in any way against baseball rules at the time, I do believe. Well, no, it was against the rules. It just wasn't an enforced rule, and it right. wasn't a collectively bargained rule. But there was a, a there was a rule. There was a memo. There's a memo. There was a memo. There wasn't. No, was I a, guess a, more of a mission statement. Depending was a, on, you know, <laughs> we don't like you to do this. Yeah, exactly. What happens if I do this? I we don't, don't like you to do this. Exactly. Let me emphasize this. But, but to say in any way, you can't really say in any way. They, they, they didn't want you to do it, but, but they didn't have again, they didn't have any mechanism in baseball, to stop it. In baseball, if there is no punishment, in essence, that means it is it allowed. It ain't no crime. Right. I mean, you know, that's the reality of it is, is, if, you, is true. If, there was, if you said, we do not want you to put someone in the stands with a walkie-talkie signaling in the, you know, you know, stealing signs, teams would do it. It's like, okay, I understand you don't want us to, but no, it has to be you don't get to do it. And if you do, we're going to drop the hammer on you. We can tell you right now, they do not want you hacking into other teams' uh, databases. And if they do, they will punish you. <laughs> right. We know that for sure now. Uh, we talked about this punishment before, but it does... It, it's not just that, but that's that coming on the heels of an 86-win season. 
and no playoffs, and the Cardinals have been such constants in the playoffs, definitely feels like times are changing for this organization, and it's a much more athletic and less college-heavy and more international prospect list. And I think that's for the good, but at the same time, J.J., this is not what they're known for. I mean, they developed Oscar Tavares and Carlos Martinez. They certainly have developed some impact international talent. Obviously, Tavares' career tragically cut short. But Carlos Martinez just signed a big contract extension, and Alex Reyes is the best pitching prospect in baseball. What's your, what's your quick take, your quick overview of the Cardinals system as it is right now? There's some guys who are going to help here. And the thing about it is, is to have Alex Reyes fronting this, to have Luke Weaver there, these are upper-level guys who have have actually already arrived in St. Louis, at least briefly. It'd be a very different farm system if those guys had pitched over 50 innings. You know, we, especially you know, Reyes is at 46, and Weaver's at how many pitch, uh, innings? Like 20-something? 36. 36. Those two guys are very experienced. You take those two away, and you go Delvin Perez, Carson Kelly, Magnus Sierra, Sandy Alcantara, you know, that's still not a terrible. Right. That's not a, well, there's nothing here system. You take those the, two guys away, and there's very little at double A or above in the way of top 10 prospects. Carson Kelly, if they didn't have those two guys, I probably would have pushed for Carson Kelly as the number one prospect, as a safer bet at a premium position, whereas Delvin Perez clearly tools your higher ceiling. You feeling lucky. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's him. You know, but you do look at this and you say, you do have Alex Reyes at the top. And Alex Reyes is Alex Reyes is everything you want a number one prospect to be. Yes. Especially when you throw in, oh yeah, by the way, really good in the big leagues in a semi-lengthier. This is not he came up and he had a good start. Yeah. This is a guy who kind of made some of the strides last year that you wanted to see made. But the thing that stood out with Alex Reyes, and this goes back to when he was in the Appy League, but especially goes back to when he was in the Midwest League and on, he's always had some of the best stuff. And his stuff is, at its best, way more devastating than some of the other pitchers that we think of as the top pitchers in the minors. That's true. I mean, he's, he has all of the strengths of, say, Tyler Glasnow, Without the weakness of being six foot eight, you know, and his stuff is just better. He throws harder than Tyler Glasnow. He was 101 miles an hour in the Futures game. I think he touched 102 in the big leagues. I was on, I was on your top 100 uh, yeah, mile yeah. per hour chart the other day. Um, his breaking ball is you know, like 70 grades. You get for on, on the breaking ball on the curve for and if you're Alex a, Reyes. if you're a, if you're a right hander who has an again an 80 fastball at his best and a 70 curveball. Right there, that that by itself, I mean, again, you I like the scouting adage that you've you know you've used, which is, if you do that, the changeup out of the hands of fifty. All right, pretty much. I mean, it really doesn't have to be that good. If he has, and he doesn't he de- need to throw it that much. Right. If he develops major league average fastball command, which he doesn't have yet. No. But if he develops major league average fastball command, he's probably the best starting pitcher in the big leagues. I mean, that's that's because his stuff. His pure stuff is as good as, say, Noah Syndergaard. It's as good or better in terms of pure stuff, just grading out, than Clayton Kershaw. I mean, you're, now, Clayton now, has I don't more, know if he has... Kershaw has more pitches, and he's left-handed. And the thing about it is, I would not say he'd have to have better than average. That's the thing, is, is no. Because Clayton Kershaw... Has put in a cup. To, you know, hit the right. hit the gnat in the butt uh, 
fastball right. command. But he's competing in that echelon. Right. I would Those say if he, developed, if he developed that 60-70 command yeah. to go with everything else. Which I don't yes. think he ever will. I don't think he will. But yes, then he would be. But that's his neighborhood though, JJ. And that's we don't say that about other prospects. If he has 40 control, and I'm thinking 40 control, he can be an extremely effective big league starter. Right, because the average big league starter right now is what, around two and a half walks per nine? Or a little more. And, and, and you know, there are very few. It's very hard to find a big league starter with more than three and a half walks per nine. And his rate in the minor leagues is around four and a half. Right. But again, what you saw, and this is what you want to see, young pitcher, it got better last year. It's didn't go great. Right. But it got better. And that's really, you know, you're looking at, you're, you've seen this, the, he's getting there. Yeah. He's still a very young pitcher. He's getting there. The thing that's also fascinating to me about that is, is that you, you look at him and you say, okay, number two on this list, Luke Weaver. Now, Luke Weaver does not have the upside of Alex Reyes. Certainly. But Luke Weaver does have the upside to be a very useful starting pitcher. I think so. And I think so. I don't think he's Tim Hudson, but that's because Tim Hudson's a borderline Hall of Famer. That's a player that uh, Luke Weaver has been compared to physique-wise, looseness of the arm, stuff-wise, throughout his career, which has always been like a junior Tim Weaver. Tim. Uh, Tim Hudson, yeah, he's kind of a junior Tim Hudson. I mean, his fastball doesn't have that kind of sink, but he's got a really good changeup. But he does challenge the right-hander with a fringy breaking ball adage, so... For him, fastball command's much more important. Oh, absolutely. He can't get by with fringy command because he doesn't have the weapons. That, the good news for him, though, is he has demonstrated he can hit his spots. Right, right. He he does not fall behind in counts. I'll tell you, the other thing that I like about Luke Weaver is he's just got a little something extra. There's a little... He's got a little swag to him. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence in himself. And at the same time, he, he backs that belief up with a lot of work. He really works at it. I was shocked that uh, you, know, you throw out the four inning, the four outings and six innings he threw in the Gulf Coast League. His best strikeout rate was what he did in the big leagues. Now, I just was surprised at how many bats he missed uh, in the major leagues, and uh, that was very encouraging. You know, in, in his short time, give up a lot of home runs. That's generally not been his mo. Again, he works the bottom of the strike zone. So that, that but that is the something though when you talk about again. And he's not short, so we're not talking about the truly short right-hander. Right. But the smaller, there's he, a little less plane on the fastball, right. all those things. It is something that at least is, there's a slight cause for concern because, for one, as we keep talking about, there's a lot more home runs now in the big leagues than there is in the minors. Yes. And he is a guy that, he, he's going to be around the zone. Right. That's right. We just talked about it. He has to be. He has to be around the zone. So he's going to have to get... A few more swings and misses in the zone. This is a guy who I envision, whether it's in 2017 or down the line, there's going to be a year where Luke Weaver shows up and, and all of a sudden there's going to be an article about, oh, his pitch selection has changed. He's throwing a cutter 20% of the time now. It's just it's going to happen. It know? just makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. He is the final of pitchers who wind up adding a cutter. Uh, and I think Because the breaking ball Weaver. so far, it just it, it's not ever become a weapon. Right. And at some point, it either has to become a weapon, or if it doesn't, you have to find something else. He also because has again, a chance. He has a chance to be. You, know, you see the success that a guy like Kyle Hendricks has had in the big leagues. This guy's more athletic, 
similar repertoire. He does not have the seven changeup that Kyle Hendricks has, but he throws harder. If he approaches Kyle Hendricks' fastball command, he could be that similar repertoire kind of pitcher where Kyle Hendricks is using his changeup like 27% of the time last year. But you want you want to talk about the interesting guy to me that I look at him because they're two they're similar. Now Jarrell Cotton's changeup is better than Luke Weaver's. That's another guy I'm to bring up. Luke Weaver's control is better, I would say, than Jarrell Cotton's a little bit because Luke Weaver's control can be pretty, yeah, pretty special. But those are the two guys who are right now on the cusp of being of graduating from prospect status, who have fastballs and changeups, who are and Jose De Leon. Those are three guys, three totally different bodies. Yes. I mean, because De Leon's like 6'3 and thick. Jarrell Cotton's like six foot and about an average, you know, 190. And Weaver's this little skinny whippy guy. Uh, all three, but like 6'1, 6'2. Yeah, listed 6'2. All three guys, college draft picks. from De Leon from Southern, Cotton from East Carolina, Weaver from Florida State. They're, they're, they're going to have very similar pitch. Like uh, just when you break down how often they use their pitches – um, the best changeup of those three, wow, that's a tough call. I think it might be Cotton. I think it's Cotton's. But I think the, the best fastball of those three is De Leon's. Mm-hmm. Um, the best combination of the two might be Weaver. I think the best control is, control is Weaver. Right. But the, but the, and that's the thing. I think that the, the guy, I like the guy with the best fastball, and that's why I have De Leon ranked at the front. That was, that was not where I expected that conversation to go, comparing those, those three very disparate guys. But uh, they are but in that they're family. Not. They're, they're, they look different, but they pitch similar. They do pitch similar. They're in the same phylum of players, and I'm, I'm uh, leading you to what the that, you, you'll read more about that in the next Baseball America. JJ, the rest of this organization again, there has been an accent on the international trying hard to develop international prospects, and that's their next couple of pitchers are some young Latin American arms. Is there guys that you like better? Well, we, have to, we do have Dakota Hudson there too, but Sandy Alcantara, yes. Sandy Alcantara, Junior Fernandez are are guys who I I, I do think. You, you ask, you kind of question, okay, is one of them or both of them going to eventually end up in the bullpen? Right. And I think that's a fair question. But they both have electric arms. Yes. They both have. And and to both of their credit, I, they are, they're a little further along now than they were, you know. And I then mean, there's, the, there's the wild card down in the Gulf Coast League, Alvaro Ciejas. And, I, you know, Alvaro Ciejas is really fascinating to me because – uh, ranked highly in our Gulf Coast League list that uh, Ben Badler did back in September, but he is officially listed at five foot nine. He is not five no, foot nine. He's listed at five foot eight. Five foot eight. <laughs> See, it's ridiculous. I remember asking Ben about that, being like, "This five eight, five nine guy sounds pretty interesting." And Ben's like, "Yeah, yeah that was an email." And then he called me back because he was exercised about it. That Ciejas. That height and weight must come from like when he was 15 years old. Now he's like 6'2", 170, kind of like the same listing as Luke Weaver. He's much more physical than that. But Ben's all about Alvaro Ciejas. And this is a guy who, if you're looking for a pick-to-click in a deep keeper league and you want somebody who's got the Ben Battler Latin Palace seal of approval, it's Ciejas, um, a guy who we just had a real struggle of where to rank him in this top 30 um, he probably needs to be a 55 extreme, not a 55 high with his grade, because um, he is not five foot eight, but 91 to 95, and uh, you know, spins a breaking ball. This well, guy just sounds really exciting. Up, very, very interesting. Yeah. The way I wanted to go is a little different, which is 
The other thing the Cardinals do, and this is a consistent, when we talk about, because there still are some college bats in here. Yeah. And the thing that the Cardinals do is one of the ways they try to get value is they try to take guys who really can be defined as tweeners. Right. And try to see, can we coach them up yes. to where, and you can go back to Matt Carpenter, John Jay. Yep. Um, go back further. You go to Alan Craig. Right. You know you have Stephen Piscotty was kind of one of those guys. Oh, is he going to have enough co- power to be a true corner guy? And so what they try to do a lot of these times is, is they say, "Can we take this guy? Can we coach him up to where the position that most people think he won't be able to stick at? Yeah, we will be able to get him to work." And and Matt Carpenter. Now was he a good second baseman? No. Right. Exactly. I mean he. His bat turned out to be way better than the industry thought, and obviously the knee injuries that he had in college, you know, dampened the enthusiasm for him. But that's one of the all-time draft success. It was a 13th round pick, uh, one of the best uh, college hitters and drafted in the last few years. John Jay. I mean, again, you can find a lot of people who, a lot of scouts who, still are like, no, John Jay's not a center fielder. John Jay played center field for them for a number yeah, of years, like five years. Yeah, they kept on trying to replace John Jay, and he kept on being the best guy. And Alan? now the the Cubs have him like as an insurance policy. You know, I don't think he's going to beat out Alberto Albert Almora because I love Almora as a defender, but Jay might do it. He's been counted out before. And then you go and you say, okay, well, let's look at this. Uh, you know, uh, and this now, and you say Harrison Bader sitting here at seven. Yeah. What was Harrison Bader? The question is, can he play center can field he play or center not? Field? And that still would be something where you'd say. Survey says we don't know. Right. But there still is a chance. I would say signs, for me, point to no on a championship caliber team. I don't even think he's quite as athletic as, say, Randall Gritchick that they have uh, in the big leagues who played a lot of center field for them last year. But if the Cardinals are going to get better defensively, J.J., they have to start moving away from some of these tweeners. And their defense last year is really what... Well, that was the number one reason for their downfall. So this leads me to the next one, which is Paul DeYoung. Yeah, that's right. Paul DeYoung. I'm, I'm a Paul DeYoung fan. I think you're a Paul DeYoung fan, too. He has fascinated us both since his draft year. I'm going back to Illinois State. you know. But that being said, if you say, can Paul DeYoung play third base? I think he could play it. Second base maybe a stretch, but... That but, was what was one of his primary college positions, second base. But... Where the Cardinals are planning right now, he will show up in spring training, and they're going to see, can he be a shortstop? I mean, I love the story about it, where he goes to the fall league, and he notices, wait a minute, there are three of us playing third base here, and only one guy at shortstop. And the coach is like, you need to go over to shortstop when I'm hitting you, grounders. When we're hitting in and out, you go to short. And that's where he played. And, the, you know, I, I almost wonder if the Cardinals are like, hey, if Jed Jerko can do this, this guy can do it. J.J., this is a guy who I think we thought maybe coming out of college that his best position would be catcher. If it wasn't for, if the, it wasn't for the knee injury, maybe he'd be a catcher. Maybe he'd be third base. Maybe he'd be right field. He's got arm strength. I find it a stretch that Paul DeYoung can be a big league shortstop, just being honest. I do, too. I, I just... I, I, I've I, never... Because really, what I'll come back to is, is I had Illinois covered. I did not talk to any scouts in that area who even even fashion the idea. Like, right. I mean, he, to put it in the perspective, in the area I had, there were different players, but it was like, he was like, he had the same questions that kind of Ian Happ had, which yeah. was, guy can hit, where is it going to go? Where is he going to play? 
But an Ian Happ, but Ian Happ, who cannot play shortstop, right? But Ian Happ had who did play a little shortstop at Cincinnati. The guys would bring it up and go, he can't do it. But you know, you wish he could, right? He, I didn't have anyone bring it up as even a like a possibility. Again, with the young, it was guys wanted to see him catch. Mm-hmm. You know, guys wanted to see him catch or play third base. Um, it's it's stunning that he's moved to shortstop. And I guess, again, the stunning part of it for me isn't that he's given it a whirl. The stunning part is what they, the Cardinals are having him try it after what happened in the big league team last year where they just their lack of athleticism caught up to him. And obviously they, they tried to address that by uh, signing Dexter Fowler, although other part of that but, was probably like, let's not lose a first rounder. But let me argue this, though. I, I will go counter to that, which is, is that their lack, I don't think that their lack of athleticism caught up to him last year. They could rightfully say, no, this has worked for us. It didn't work last year, but over the last five, six, seven years, it's worked for us. And so it doesn't, you know, I don't think they have to do this massive course correction where they say, we are off of the idea. They have guys who got older. Yeah. And so what's happened is, is that... Well, Johnny Peralta is one of them. <laughs> right. But I do think that one of the things that has happened is, is that when you have these guys who... One problem with this is when you have these guys and you are coaching them up, to move to a position that is at the ultimate edge of their ability. Mm-hmm. Those guys do not last there usually nearly as long yes. as if you say, if you take John Jay and you ask him to be a center fielder, John Jay is not capable of playing center field for 10 years right. or anything like that. That's what happens. Alan Craig, the reality is, is that Alan Craig, if you look at Alan Craig's career, it didn't take that long for you say, Okay, so we're going to play him now. Yeah, that's right. That that is uh, that's a big part of it. I and mean, and you look at you look at really Matt Carpenter, and it's like Matt Carpenter at his peak athleticism can handle positions, and the second that the the, the footwork just gets a little, he's a little slower, right? A little less reaction time, all you know, a little more reaction time, I should say. All that. That's where I think these problems come in. My other part of it is that they used to have a guy who was their defense-first guy. That was Pete Cosma. That was three or four years ago. But they used to have one guy where, like, okay, your job is to make every play look easy and to make things easier on our pitching staff. Also, their pitching staff is not as power... You know, they, Yes, they've added Carlos Martinez, but Wainwright doesn't have the strikeout rate he used to. They didn't have Lance Lynn last year. Michael Walker hasn't worked out. When you go out and sign Mike Leake, and you have Mike Leake throwing in front of Jed Jerko playing shortstop and Carpenter at second or third... That's not a good recipe. and I, So I do think, I just think the overall mix, they were always on that edge. I think the tipping point went in the other direction last year, both in terms of the position players, Peralta and Carpenter, declining defensively, and the pitchers being guys who needed defense behind them more. And then even as the trend in the big leagues is more strikeouts, I, I think they were less of a strikeout staff just, just by having not having Lance Lynn. But you know now, if two-thirds of your, rota- two-fifths of your rotation is Reyes and Martinez? All of a sudden, that's that's a little bit better. But they, you know, JJ, they've also been a team that, whether it's Seth Manis or Bowman last year, have always had that one designated ground ball guy. If you're doing that and you see the value of that in your bullpen, you gotta make you you bring those guys in to, to get two. And if Jed Jerko doesn't get it, what's the point of having that guy on your roster? Not the I, same. That's one of the things I am I'm fascinated to kind of see. Like at the big league level, they know. I mean, I think they know. Like. Their absolute upper end of what they can do, I feel like 
is not that far above kind of the lower end for the Cubs. Their strikeout rate did decline last year, not precipitously. But, yeah, I, I agree. Their upside is, I, I think, quite good. You know, um, but, the, but I think their upside, like, what is the floor, do you think, like, I mean, again, for this Chicago team this year? 90 <laughs> well, wins? Well, you know, baseball perspective, I'm not a big Pakoda guy, but baseball perspective has released Pakoda today, the day they were releasing these. I guess the Pakoda Pakoda projections had the Cubs at 91 wins. That would be a 12-game decline from last season. I don't see that happening. So, I mean, I think 90-91 I'm saying I think 90-91 is kind of the low end for the Cubs. I mean, I don't know if they're going to win 103 again, but are you telling me that over the a three-year span they're a 97-win team? That's why I would say 91 this year. I think their ceilings. I think floor is actually a little higher than that. I think they're like 93, 94 wins. Again, I could see like I'm saying like there's 90, still two teams in this me, division that are bad. To me, the 90, Brewers and Reds are not contenders. So. To me, 90 wins is wow. They survived. They're pitching. They had a lot of injuries. You know, there's like things like that happen. That's to me though. When I say like a realistic floor, and where is the realistic ceiling? Do you feel like for this Cardinals team? Well, 86 wins last year. I thought they underperformed. You know, I think they're gonna be better this year. Um, by a decent amount because, you know, again, Wainwright is declining a bit, but Martinez, they get Lance Lynn back, and Alex Reyes. I like the look of their rotation now better than I did last year. So I, I feel like, like it I, also because they do have. I feel like they, they could be a 92 win team, that kind of team. I do think they're going to be a little bit more athletic. And I think Dexter Fowler really fits and, you know, makes Stephen Piscotti and Grichik as your wings, uh, as your two corner outfielders. That makes more sense. But to me, so much is on. Eleven is Diaz on their big league team. You know, is he good enough defensively at shortstop, and is he going to hit like he hit last year? Uh, that's a big question, and that's where Paul DeYoung comes back in. JJ Diaz is trying to be the first homegrown Cardinal shortstop since Aji Smith, and that's just what's so amazing. This is an organization well, that's had been homegrown. Oh, well, this is Gary Templeton. I'm sorry, Gary Templeton, um, and that was 1977 was his rookie year. But that's their last. Like Pete Cosmo was homegrown, but he wasn't good. So <laughs> he was. You know, as soon as they could replace him, they replaced him. But to be fair for the Cardinals, after they traded, they've done for everything Smith, else. Well, I was gonna say, but also after they traded for Ozzy Smith, one thing about that is, is that they didn't need one for eighteen years. There was this eighteen-year stretch where they're like, we don't. If we grow, right. it's not gonna matter. But when they tried to replace him, they couldn't do it inside, no. in-house. They did it with Royce Clayton, and it's been a succession. It's never been a consistent position. Um, and Diaz, hey, they've done fine without it, but it's just. It's just odd to me that their answer internally is Paul DeYoung. <laughs> That's just No, their weird. answer internally is Delvin Perez, but he's a ways away. We'll see about that one. Delvin Perez, who committed a ton of errors last year in the Gulf Coast League. It's the Gulf Coast League. He is twitchy. And if you're looking to he, be more athletic, that's the way to go. I mean, what do you think draft day when they drafted Perez and Dylan Carlson? It's almost like Dylan Carlson was the perfect handcuff for Delvin Perez to, like, uh, you know, be his chaperone almost of the low minor no, leagues. I, I loved it from the standpoint of I am, I, I do look at it and say yes. Can you say you know was he did he fall because of a drug test? Absolutely, performance enhancing drug test. Yes. Did he fall because of that? Sure. That did mean that they got a guy better than they should have been able to get. Right. That's I, I do look at it and say we were hearing before all this. We were hearing possibilities that Perez could have gone in the top five. Oh yeah, I mean, I think he was, I think he was in the mix as high as two. I, mean, I think so, he was in the mix at two. And so you have that, and then you look at where they got him. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that you don't normally get to do when you pick as low as they pick. 
And that's why they did it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think oh, yeah. it, I think it made a lot of sense, especially when you probably figure at the time with this investigation going on, we're probably not going to have a first round pick in 2017, and and they oh, didn't. This, because they, that's one thing. I, I mean, you think I think both think that we believe that that penalty was very light. I know yes. you you say that. I don't know what else they could have done. I look at it and say, you have a rather wide discretion. You there are things you could have maybe done. You could have even extended extended it maybe into next year or whatever. But at the same time, they're going to get very little out of the 2017 draft now. Yes, they are, and it's uh, they have the smallest bonus pool by a whole lot. So I mean, they're they can't get creative about it. Right? No, they're not. They're not going to say this is going to be a classic Cardinals. Um, we're going to take the best hitter who grades out in terms of the numbers. They're going to take college performers, and that's really about all they can afford. And that's all they can afford because right. you can't. You can't even take. I mean, there, there's not going to be. We're going to take the the high school guy who falls. That's not an option. <laughs> it is not an option for them this year. So um, we're talking about the St. Louis Cardinals uh, list and JJ. One thing that they have some intriguing international signees at lower ends of the farm system. I know that Matt Eddie's favorite is Eliezer. Her name. Um, I want to make sure I get his name right. <laughs> it's Eli Alvarez, the second baseman in the Midwest League. Eliezer Alvarez is correct. He just, I guess the thing is, if you're looking for a statistical performer in the minor leagues, he probably checked as many boxes as anybody last year. Um, You know, he just seems like, again, he's athletic, but he's a bad first guy. So it just strikes me that that, that's, but that is what the, so that's the Cardinals are actually being true to themselves. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that this is, I do think that they have moved some guys at the big league level. But it's strange though, the way Mo is talking about things. Right, but I, I do think that more that what you're really seeing here is is that they have moved in a way at the big league level because they didn't have a choice. You know, they, they they had to move some of these guys. Right. I do think at the minor league level they haven't changed their philosophy. They believe that they can coach guys up, and you know, like you said with Delvin Perez, yeah, I'll ask an interesting question with this Delvin Perez, and he had a lot of errors. Who is the last shortstop? who had the tools to play shortstop and just wasn't reliable enough to do it. The only BJ thing, Upton. BJ, that the th- I can it jumps up, to mind. I come up with three. Okay. And, a th- and the third one of these is almost a stretch. Starlin Castro has flirted with that line yeah. in his career. Yeah. Because, again, you, you there is a point where it's like, okay, no, this is too many years. I mean, he's a... Thicker guy, so second right. base with the Yankees fits a lot better. Right, for him. but he was even. But when he was with the shortstop with the Cubs, there were times where it's like this is less reliable than you need your big league shortstop. Right. Play. So you got Starlin Castro, you got BJ Upton, who absolutely had to be moved off the position because he just never could make the routine play the way you need to. There is an alternate universe where he's a shortstop, where Lou Pinello was never uh, hired as the manager mm-hmm. in Tampa, and they decided. To be patient with him, because I've I saw him do it at Durham. I saw oh, yeah, him make tools. It was... spectacular plays. I saw him make all the hard plays, uh, the routine plays. Uh, you know, when you're in AAA when you're 19, and the game speeds up on you, that's when you stop making the routine plays. And the third one I can come up with is Jose Austin. Sure, and that's going <laughs> that's way a, back. That's going way back. So yeah. my point being though is is that there are very few. If we've been talking about you know when Javier Baez was in the low minors. This is something we could be saying of Javier Baez. I know Javier Baez right. is not an everyday shortstop. But you watch him and you're like, that guy can play shortstop. Right. right. Well, so my point with Delvin is, is if you give me twitchy and unreliable 
over not twitchy and reliable in a young shortstop 10 out of 10 times. Yes, especially can, when they're 19 years old. We can fix, if yes. you're a team, you can look at it and say, we can fix the reliability. The reliability will come, and part of it will come also as they climb the minors because all of a sudden there won't be boulders in the infield like there is in <laughs> Bakersfield. You know, you, yes. you have that. But at the same time, you you know, again, now the Cardinals say, hey, we can coach them up, but range is range. Range is range, and he has, he needs to develop body control, but he has all the ability, athleticism, agility, that, arm strength. He has all those, he checks all those boxes the, you're looking for at shortstop. The thing to me that stands out about this is, is that, and you're, I, I agree with you, if, if they had not had those one, two, it would have been tough to make him number one. Yeah. It would have been. That said... I do feel like that that is a pick when you say that what could happen for the Cardinals in a very good way over the next few years. They got a guy there. It's a risky pick in some ways, but they got a guy there who could be better than a whole lot of guys who yep. were drafted ahead of him. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, they, uh, For me, considering they had three picks, they had no choice but to take Delvin Perez. You know, they, 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 they could afford to take a risk. You know, they didn't take him. The Potters were going to take him but very they soon got, afterwards. They, they got Delvin Perez, and then you get in the same draft. You get Dakota Hudson and Dylan Carlson. You spread, you know, yes. and again. And they needed a – that is their 2016 and their 2017 draft. Pretty much. And, J.J., I wanted to ask you, which of their college arms do you do, – do you like any of their college arms? Are you a Dakota Hudson fan? Hashtag Tennessee Prep Class of 2013. Or Austin really Gomber from we... previously. Or Connor Jones. Um, you know, I used to be a big Connor Jones fan. He just uh, never changed in college. I think that there was prospect fatigue that set in with that guy. You know, he was number 33 in the 2013 prep pitching, uh, number 33 on the BA 500 coming out of high school in 2013. I thought he was the best prep pitching prospect in that draft class. 2013 was just a bad year for prep pitching. I thought he was the best guy in that class, and he wound up going to school. He wanted to go to Virginia. He loves to squat. You know, you're not going to take that delivery away from him. That's what he did in high school. Right. This not is mention, not something. The Virginia that... guys didn't start him with that. That's what he did in high school. I remember seeing him do it in high school. Um, he just hasn't gotten better um, over three years at UVA. And really, in, in, terms of, in terms of stuff, hasn't gotten better. He performed very well, and what he does, he does well. He can take the fastball to run in on right-handed hitters. He can run it away from right-handed hitters. He has a little, you know, get a little slider. But the changeup never came along. He doesn't really, uh, opposite side hitters still vex him a bit. So. And, and the control, like the, as a junior, was less than you wanted to see. Right. He just, and again, there wasn't a step. This is a guy who touched a lot of 96s early in his career. He doesn't do it as often anymore. So we'll see if throwing on a pro schedule, does he throw more fastballs so his fastball gets better? Uh, or is he a guy who? Wait a minute, we throw we throw today. I thought my throw day was in two days. Oh, today's my throw day. You know, he might be that guy. Dakota Hudson was a guy who I, I think we were shocked that he fell to where the Cardinals got him, and then we thought he was going to go a lot higher in the draft. He was this is a guy who we thought could have been the second or third college pitcher drafted in 2016, and come off the board really high, and he wound up coming off what 34th. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that's the right spot for him to come off, to be honest. Yeah, and he finished the year uh, in double-A in the bullpen uh, in the postseason uh, in the Texas League playoffs for Springfield. I'm interested to see how the Cardinals handle him. I have a feeling he's going to be a guy who starts at a high-class A Palm Beach 
and could move very quickly if he hits the ground running and had success. He's got the makings of two above average pitches. He, if you said who, which of these guys do I feel most comfortable with having a big league role of some sort? Yeah, it's Hudson. Yeah, it's Hudson because I don't know what that role is going to be. I, I don't think. I mean, I, I kind of think it's for a guy who was a successful college pitcher. I think it's a well. Both these guys are, are lower ceiling guys. Yeah, but I think Hudson. Uh, it's it's a little easier for me to see where that works for Hudson. Um, you know, uh, of these guys. I kind of, I still like Gomber a little bit, you know. But, yeah, I do too. But Gomber, I think in the long run, I think he probably looking especially now again the Cardinals have some depth of pitching prospects. I think he, I think he's the guy you let that curveball you know work in short stints. He's a, yeah, to me he's yeah he's a fourth or fifth starter if he's a starter. I don't see him as an and impact I think he's rotation probably guy. a reliever. Yeah, and to me. Um, I the fastball less... plays up a little bit more there. Yeah, and then okay, get, if I can get ahead in the count, right? It's a left-handed hitter or a right-handed. Really, to be honest, you know, I can drop that curveball. Yeah, and he's um, you know, to me, just a, the kind of the classic big, tall left-hander. The fastball is just probably not enough. Right, I, and I that's where I think starter. You, yep, that's where I think you you put him in the pen, and then not that it's great, but it's enough. Yeah, but this is I mean they they have pitching depth. Oh, but basically, we like, ran out of space in the magazine. For on their depth chart because they had so many ranked pitchers, but Zach Gallen, Mike Myers, uh, and Darian Gonzalez on the depth chart. There's more after that. We just like that, but room. Zach Gallen again. I I keep applying this really unfair standard in some ways, but Zach Gallen on the Marlins system. <laughs> yeah, he's probably very similar to Cody Poteet, and Cody Poteet was 14 on the Marlins. They're very they're birds of a feather, pitchability, college right-handers. Who had uh, fairly accomplished college careers? Um, Gallon, I would say probably. Gallon has better harder. secondary stuff. No, they probably throw about the same. I mean, Jack Gallon's not a real physical guy. Six no. one, one seventy. And I know there were reports of him throwing really hard to start I'm, last year, but I'm that's not saying. Not no, I'm not saying is. really hard. I'm he's just, like a ninety gun mile. He, he sits right around ninety, JJ. Right. And he gets in the seventh, eighth inning, uh, you know, which he won't do very often in pro ball, but he'd be sitting eighty eight. So. I've He's seen, not a velocity guy. I've seen Poteet at 86, though. So was that at UCLA or no Pro, at Greensboro? At Greensboro, yeah, that's they're they're very similar guys. Poteet's a little bit bigger. Right. I think a Poteet is like a Tom Kohler kind of guy, and po, you know, Gallon's a little bit a little bit different. But right, but the I point have, being, the point being, either one of those guys that would have more confidence in them as a Cardinal with their pitching development history see, than as a Marlin. But I don't. I will say now they have Jim Bennett. If I, I get say, it, it's different. Let me see. You know, we don't. We do not know yet. I am. I'm again. I'm fascinated to see what happened to Tyler Kolek this year. Tyler Kolek Re- under, being rebuilt from the ground up. We can. We we, we have that's the technology. right. He is the six million dollar man, so it works. But it'd be a little bit bigger doll than that Steve <laughs> the Steve Majors doll where you look through his eye. That was a pretty cool toy. I have to say that was a cool toy. Um, overall, JJ, uh, when when you have the St. Louis Cardinals organization kind of in this uh, state where they are, I wouldn't say state, but when they're chasing the Cubs, I, I'm, I'll be curious to see if that changes. Like I said, that right now there's really not they're, they're doing what they do. There's not a lot of changes to their philosophy. But I'll be interested to see if you you know if we see this team if they're contending and they're close to the Cubs. I think they have the depth to make a deal if they need to make an aggressive oh, yeah. deal at the big league level. And they're chasing the Cubs. I mean, I don't think they want to be in this position looking up at the Cubs very long. That's just not. That's not how they're wired. But I will say this right now. I feel if you ask me to predict 17, 18, 19, I think the Cubs go three. I think the Cubs, 
finish ahead of the Cardinals each of the next three years. I think that's very plausible. I do. And I think the Cardinals are looking. That's why. I, but I, I, I think the Cardinals are going to be aggressive. The Cardinals are a playoff team. Right. But I it, mean, the, the tough thing is, is. They, they're right now, they're like the Pirates 13, 14, 15, 16, where it's like if they win, you're looking up at the Cardinals and you, and you have that one game playoff. Like, right. They're in that similar that's a, position. That's a, they're in a similar position. It's not a terrible position to be in because they. This is a team that has the feel of a team that could contend for playoff contention for several years to come. But that being said, they are in the same division with a budding dynasty. Yeah, a juggernaut. And that's, and that's their, the problem, is that it, it, it's not a bad position to be in if you just had 20-plus losing seasons like the Pirates. But if you're the Cardinals and you're the flagship franchise of the National League, which they are, and you look at their, you know, year by years, and this is an organization that in the 21st century, they've made the playoffs more often than they've missed. So the expectations are not contend for the wild card. That's just not how they're wired. And that's, so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how the Carl, do they, again, to use the football term, do they stay on schedule? Do they keep doing what they do? Or does the pressure of chasing the Cubs make them change? And I think this, Kind of what they're talking about defense at the big league level makes me think they're starting to try to change. And the last organization that I remember that was a consistent playoff team but then tried to change was the Twins. And they tried to change, and they got off schedule. They became something they are not, and they haven't had, they've had one winning season since. I, I will say, I trust the Cardinals' process, the Cardinals' way, I should say. Because it's not the Cardinals' process. Sure. It's the Cardinals' way. I do believe that they will, they will stick with it. And I don't think this is not does not strike me as an organization that essentially I, I agree with you. Like if you do that, if you're the Cardinals, that's I don't think that's going to help you. And I look at the moves that they made this off season, and nothing strikes me as there was no panic to it. Even coming off of 86 wins, got Dexter Fowler right, re-upped one of their own guys. It wasn't a panicky off season. You're right. This was not. This was not a. <coughs> To give a bad analogy, but this was not a George Steinbrenner, right? You know, but two years ago, JJ, two or three years ago, the Cardinals thought, even with the Cubs with their ninety-seven win season, they were like, okay, we won hundred games this year. The Cubs won ninety-seven, but at that time, the Cardinals thought, well, we're going to either get Jason Hayward or David Price in free agency. We've just had Jason Hayward here; he liked playing here. And, Jay, and David Price grew up a Cardinals fan, and we're going to get him. And they didn't get either one. And by the way. So far, so good. Woo! Yes. Dom, you know what, Dom. Jason? The best thing you could do for us is go to Chicago and uh, sign a long-term deal and hit like a uh, pitcher. Yes. Be one of the 10 worst offensive players in baseball. That said, they still have those rings, even despite him. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was last year going forward. I, I would hope not for him and for baseball. And, and David Price, I know he wasn't what the Red Sox thought they were getting last year, but that's year one. I mean, the Cardinals, you know, uh, uh, two years ago, if they looked at this, they'd rather have David Price and Jason Hayward than not. They would, but so at the same time. They that haven't would... panicked yet. But, but, so in their, but I'm just in the last year, if you're a Cardinals front office guy, that's what's in your head. We missed on our top targets. We went from, we lost, we won 14 fewer games. And the Cubs became the but preeminent see, franchise, and we lost a first round. Uh, we lost two draft picks and got hammered in this. In their minds, hammered in the in the ground control scandal. But I will again. I'll flip that. 
you're right. They lost David Price. They lost Jason Hayward. And a year later, they can look at it and say, you know what? Okay. We dodged we a bullet. Got, we, we dodged a bullet of Hayward, which we would we would potentially – that would be, for, for their organization, more so than the Cubs. Harder would, to dig out of. Harder yes. to dig out. They dodged a bullet. And, yeah, they didn't get David Price. And we also know that they could have had David Price. And that – they didn't finish that three games short. Yeah, he was at 14 war. Yes, you're right. So they can look at it and say, again, I think this is a very rational organization. They can look at it somewhat unemotionally, which I think is a valuable, yes. a valuable thing to do. They can look at it and say, nope, right now we are not as good as the Cubs. However, our hope is we still have young pitching. We have more young pitching coming up. We have a lineup that has some youth to it. Again, more guys on the way. We've been able to piece. We got Dexter Fowler at a reasonable. That's a very, you know, that's a, we found another piece, but he's not a, a, this is not a contract that if this went poorly with Dexter Fowler, it's not going to kill him. And then they can say their hope is, for one, maybe they don't. Maybe they're the Giants to the Dodgers. Right. Which is fine. Hey, Dodgers, you keep winning division. We'll win World Series. Or the other part of it, though, is, is that, your other hope is the Cubs have hit really well on pitching, but they're pitching there there is a little bit more of a tenuousness to their pitching. Definitely. And you hope if you're you hope that that's gonna come back and then you say, okay, if that's the case, then they're gonna have a better lineup, we'll have a better pitching staff, and we'll see. And part of that is is again with the with the Cardinals, some of this backup is like you said, Lance Lynn was out. Michael Walker has but you they, can't count on Michael Walker. You cannot. Right you cannot. And if and I will say, if they, if Michael Walker has the best of Michael Walker's careers behind him, that's still a good pick. Oh yeah, I'm not knocking but, that. But I'm not knocking him at all. It is one where you say there he, were there were teams that did not take Michael Walker because they thought in some way that this was what they, they thought that they were worried about how well he would hold up over the long term, and. He's only right now had one bad year. Right. But it may be that you got, hey, credit to them. They got good. They got value out of him as a 21-22, age 23 season. Yes. And by doing so, even if you get nothing else out of him, you say, you know what? That was a that was a wonderful ride. Yeah, 2012, uh, 19th pick overall. And Mark Appel was the 8th overall pick in that draft, unsigned by the Pirates. But... How different would this have been if the Pirates had taken Waka at eight and not Appel at eight? Well, number one, they wouldn't have Austin Meadows. They got him the next year with the ninth pick, and they got for not signing Mark Appel. So that's one of those sliding doors moments in the right. National League There's Central lot, there, for there, sure. There are, there are a lot of those. Um, yeah, I think I think the Cardinals are well positioned to contend, but I don't think they're well positioned to overtake the Cubs. I do think that the Cubs are going to be very difficult to dislodge in the National League Central for years to come. But this division is really interesting. This is the fifth team we've done in this division. We've gone through the whole division. We got, and there's ups, there's there's optimism and reason for optimism for all five. Right. We're going to do we're going to wrap up with the NL West. Yeah. And the NL West is different deal. Is a different deal. It's gotten a little better, but it is definitely still mostly because Larusa is no longer a general well, manager or CEO. It's, it's got it's gotten better also. I think really because of the Rockies, like at least there's now a team that goes into the season thinking, you know, maybe we can contend with it. Because it's been a two-team. Yeah, not in the delusional state. Right. Like Arizona did last right. year. So you do have that. 
but it is not like the central where everyone in the central clearly has a lane where they are. Right. The right. pirates are the one that's the closest to like, are they on the outside? Are they on the left lane of the autobahn where you know the right. unlimited speed limit? Or are they on you know the right side where they're kind of you know pulling off to rest, recover, and but, yeah. But everyone in that division there has there's something interesting going on there. They have some defined philosophies in those organizations, um, and it shows because, like you said, they all kind of know. There's no question about what these teams are doing, the, who the contenders are, who's rebuilding, and where those teams are in their rebuilding, what their philosophy has been in that rebuilding. So. A lot of fun going to the National League Central. Uh, JJ and I are going to be back uh, later this week. I'm not sure if it'll be the next podcast, JJ, but I know we will go ahead and... I know you'll see us, if you listen to these, you'll see us Friday night on MLB Network. And uh, just stay well, tuned gonna, to Baseball we're, America. We've got Padres coming up. We've, yeah. got, again, we're gonna, we've got five teams left to go. We will have the... all. We will have talked every team's farm system before the start of the college baseball season. Yes. That is our... That's Division one college, Division one. Let me make clear. Yeah, junior colleges are junior all colleges. Out there. I'm excited. There's a great matchup on Wednesday. So, but we do want to remind you again that this is uh, the Baseball America uh, podcast, and it is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Go to baseballism.com for all the details and to order your gear, or you can visit their retail locations in Cooperstown and Scottsdale. That's baseballism.com. And if you enter the code BA2017, you'll save 20% off your order. Facebook Live, you'll see us sporting some baseballism gear. But it's baseballism.com. For John Manuel, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.